With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Welcome to the Crowdmakers, inside the C-suite of sports and entertainment, the definitive podcast on the inner workings of the business side of professional sports, concerts, and live events. These are the people that are shaping the new landscape of the industry, the executives that are creating the new paradigm for live entertainment. These are the inside conversations you won't hear anywhere else. These are the Crowdmakers. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the digital training network that uses micro-learning and spaced repetition to form new habits of success in sales, service, leadership, and more. Created by sports and entertainment industry experts for the industry. Learn more at ISBI360.com. And now, here's your host for the Crowdmakers, Bill Gertine. Well, welcome back to the Crowdmakers. It's Bill Gertine once again. And with me is Jared Dillon. Pleased to have him here. He is Chief Marketing and Revenue Officer of the Vinick Sports Group. Thanks so much for being able to stop by and chat with us here in the Crowdmakers, Jared. Uh, my pleasure. It's good to, to be here with you and good to see you, my friend. It's been a while. It has been a while. And I've so appreciated your ability to be on panels and stuff. I think I may have corralled you to do one or two of those in our career together. And <coughs> appreciate being a, a chance now to talk a little bit about uh, post-pandemic, middle-pandemic, kind of this, the situation that we're in. Uh, as this thing has started, has there been something you've done to kind of better yourself now that we've had a little time to ourselves, a habit you started, something you're reading? What are you doing? Yes, there is. But first, I want to, you just said something that I think our listeners will get a kick out of. You and I go back many years and my first memory, my first one of my first distinct memories of you was at a conference I don't remember which conference it was, but we knew each other a little bit. And when you were leading us, you were leading a presentation around sales training. You called me out of the crowd and I had to role play with you. I don't know if you remember this. I do. Yes. And I'm sitting there <clears throat> talking about being on the, the hot seat, you know, as a, a, at that time, pretty young person in the industry. And I got a role play sales training with the 800 pound gorilla and, you know, all my colleagues sitting behind me, that's what I get for sitting up front, I guess. But uh, my mom always told me to sit up front in the classroom. And, uh, but that's one of my earliest memories about you. And uh, I got a lot of respect for, for you and, and what you've done. And uh, congratulations on launching this as well. So well, thank you. Appreciate that. And uh, I, apparently it didn't traumatize you too badly. Who you are. <laughs> it didn't scare me out of the industry. But uh, no, your question about, you know, maybe some new habits or, you know, hobbies or what may have you, uh, two of them come to mind. Uh, one of them is uh, ice hockey. So, you know, long story short, I grew up playing sports, but I grew up in California not a lot of hockey around when I was growing up. I don't even think the San Jose Sharks I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area originally. I don't think the Sharks came into existence until I was in, in high school. So didn't grow up playing hockey or skating, played football, baseball, basketball, and, and was fortunate to play football through, uh, through university at University of Oregon. And when I, when I came to the Lightning a few years ago in Vinick Sports Group, I kind of put it off, but I said to myself, I really learned, I really need to be able to at least get out there with my staff and shuffle around a little bit and play some pickup hockey. You know, I'm, I'm working in the front office. I'm the executive of a team. Uh, and thankfully, my daughters, two of my three little daughters, held me to that. And for a Christmas gift, probably two years ago, we all got family skating lessons. And, you know, learned a little bit, learned how to skate, not embarrass myself. And uh, right as the pandemic was coming on last March, a little over a year ago, uh, for us, it was March 12th here in Florida, things really kind of shut down. I was ready to start in a men's hockey league you know, beginner, novice, kind of a Sunday night beer league with some buddies, 15 guys, 12 of us had never played before and everything shut down. So we had to wait and uh, there was no ice time to be had and we had to wait, but about June or July, we got our chance to come back and uh, we've been playing on Sunday nights as a team and skating on Wednesday mornings like I did today. 
uh, for extra ice time and practice. And it has become uh, a passion. There's nothing like being a 42, 43 year old rookie at something in life. <laughs> and uh, I, I used to be a decent athlete. So you, you still have those rushes where your mind's telling you exactly what to do, but your feet and your skates won't let you do it. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's great exercise. Wish I had been playing it my whole life, quite frankly. But now I got my nine-year-old daughter playing and my seven and five-year-old daughters also skate. So That's so cool. It's, it's become a, a little workout. bit of a family thing over the last year. Probably more of a workout than you expected. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Um, the second hobby uh, that I've picked up, you know, I read a book early on that our my vice president of ticketing, Travis Pallymounter, had recommended to me. Uh, it was Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. Great book. If any, you know whoever's listening, if you want to take a look at that, but you know, kind of in, in summary, a lot of it's about uh, daily, small, repetitive wins that over time will compound into a much larger positive uh, effect, right? And one of the things he took away because I wasn't a big reader. Um, I listen to podcasts like this, read some sports business journal articles, things like that, stay in touch and our, you know, what's going on, but never like a big reader of, of, of books per se, maybe a couple a year. And, uh, you know, he had some great insight about read 10 pages of a good book every day, just 10, you know, takes you 15, 20 minutes. You could do it in the morning. You could do it at night, figure out a time and see what that compound effect becomes over time. If you commit to that every single day. And so I, I, I've done it for almost a full year now. I think I've knocked out like close to 20 books at this point, all kinds of different topics from, you know, management and leadership to just different topics that I have personal interest in, you know, and uh, uh, it's been great. So yeah, every day did it today. And, 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 you know, on the rare occasion, I think I can count on one hand days that I skip, you know, I would double up and read 20 the next day. So uh, it's been really good. Again, the book Slight Edge by Jeff Olson, and uh, it's been fantastic. And I've read a lot of uh, great books along the way. So those are probably two that come to mind over the last year that have really been great for me that I think I'll carry with me for forever. Cool. Well, we're coming up on the year anniversary and just to pass that as we're recording this of when everything shut down. And I think most everyone in sports can tell you where they were and who they were with and the moment in which they realized that maybe this is a lot more serious than we had thought of right away. Yeah. Where were you at the moment that you made that realization and what, and what was that situation? Yeah, I remember it vividly. Um, <clears throat> my wife and I had just taken our last kind of trip on a plane. I want to say it was like the weekend of like March 5th to 7th, somewhere in that window, just after her birthday. Uh, we went out to San Francisco Giants spring training in, in Scottsdale, Phoenix, and met up with a bunch of my former San Francisco Giants colleagues where I kind of started my career. You know, you're talking about, gosh, probably close to 20 years later, people spread out all over the country. We all met back up there, had a great time. And obviously, we had seen what was coming out of, of Wuhan. I think at that case, we had had a, a few cases here in the U.S. And so we were starting to learn a lot more but everything hadn't shut down yet. Right. And that was our last kind of trip. We got home on Sunday, uh, that next week for us here in Florida was spring break. And we had plans to take our, our girls to Disney for a day. We had some family friends from California that we're going to visit. And every day that went by something else happened. Right. And then, you know, the NBA shuts down, the very next day, I think if I'm not mistaken, that was March 11th, because the very next day was March 12th, and we lost and had to postpone our first hockey game. We were scheduled to play at home against the, the Flyers, and we had to postpone that game. And I think it was at that point, and on one of those days, uh, or maybe the next day, Disney shut down. And for, you know, being a dad when Disney shuts down, and then, you know, the NBA and the NHL, you're like, okay, this is, uh, this is really, really big and important. And um, I'll never forget those couple days uh, and just kind of that sequence of events for us of what was going on professionally and what was going on personally. Wow. Well, a lot of teams <clears throat> certainly have had to trim staff. They've chosen to run a bare bones front office during the pandemic. Take us through that decision-making process at the Lightning then post announcement of cancellation of things 
when it became obvious that you had to shut down for a while and, and yeah. how that plan has evolved <clears throat> in the last several months. Did you lay some people off? Did you do yep. some things with the staff? What was the process? Yeah, it's uh, continuing to evolve, right? And, you know, I think there was a, a while there where none of us really knew what this meant. Like, okay, we thought we were going to go home and maybe it would be a couple weeks, right? And we'll get back and games will be get back on. And the longer that went and the more unrealistic that seemed, you know, from a planning, from a strategic planning standpoint, you have to start thinking about those things. And the further it went, the worse your business is, right? If you're not, especially for hockey, you know, so much of our, you know, revenue as a company relies on having our building open to sold out hockey games and concerts and all those things came to a screeching halt, right? And so we had to take a long, hard look at the business several times over the summer. Uh, fortunately, uh, you know, my, my, my teammates and I are blessed to work for, in my opinion, the best owner in sports in, in Jeff and Penny Vinnick and the best CEO sports in, in, in Steve Briggs. And they stayed the course. And, you know, the financial uh, impact to our business has been extremely difficult. And our owners have weathered that. And, you know, we went, gosh, you know, all the way into November, I want to say, before we had any impact to staff, to full-time staff. Um, no, you know, no changes, uh, you know, furloughs, layoffs, no changes to, um, to compensation in terms of salary. I mean, just as it was happening right and left around the, the, the country, we were very fortunate to, to, to avoid the majority of that. In, uh, you know, in November... And it was it was public knowledge. We we did finally have to make some adjustments and take a hard look at our business, mainly because we knew at that point this was going to be a long term recovery. This isn't going to be something that was fixed by the start of this season, right? We were we were forecasting to probably play in December, January. We ended up being mid January. We knew this issue was going to carry through now at this point this entire season. And who knows, as we sit here today, it may still carry into next season when we start back up in October. We, we hope not, but we don't know. So we had to take a long measured look at the business and, and, and try to do the best thing that we could for our business. It also allowed us, I think, you know, the, the way that I could look at it today and what we looked at is like, we're still aligned from Wayne Gretzky. We need to skate to where the puck's going to be, not where it is today. So kind of looking at how our business needed to evolve across many fronts, where was there some redundancy? You know, we might have a, a certain number of people on one team. Do we really need that or do we need it in a different you know, group? Is there a different group that we don't even have right now that we think we're going to need coming out of this pandemic? So, you know, we did have some, uh, some impacts um, to full-time staff. Uh, I am very, very happy uh, with how our company put forward our best efforts to take care of our folks. And, you know, I won't get into to detail about what that is, but we did do our best to try to take care of folks. And uh, all of us, you know, have been helpful to help our colleagues that were affected, try to find additional full-time work. Uh, just looking at my groups, uh, the majority of them that were affected in my groups uh, within four to five months, were able to find a new full-time job. Um, we helped out as much as, as we could with calls and, and, and um, you know, sending people's resumes around and recommendations. And I think, you know, hopefully we handled it, um, you know, as well as we could. And I think as we go forward, now we're in this point uh, now where we're looking at, okay, we can kind of see in, in a good way, the light at the end of the tunnel, right? And what hopefully will be for next season. So now we're in this, what our CEO has coined our maximum recovery uh, kind of process and strategic planning. And it very much is about, you know, where, do we, where are we going to skate to, you know, where's the puck going to be, right? Getting prepared for next season and beyond. And so it's really given all of us on the leadership team an opportunity to sit back and say, okay, maybe we've done things a certain way, but how do we need to think about things differently? And, you know, it may come up in this course of this conversation, but there's certain parts of our business, certainly for me that I look at that we need to evolve, continue, have evolved. We need to continue to evolve that are going to stay with us for a long time. Are there different categories that you're considering at this point? Because it appears as though we are at a, even a crossroads within our industry 
that this window of opportunity for us to improve even some of the things we've done may never come again. What, what are some of those categories that you're talking about right now sure. that may need to be either reinvented or uh, re-looked at? Yeah, a couple that come to mind that you know I think you're going to see us doubling down on um, <clears throat> is uh, strategy and analytics, kind of business intelligence as a whole. Um, we, we have an incredible leader in Chris Campy, that's our, our vice president of strategy analytics and an incredible team around him um, that we started building up even prior to me getting here six years ago. Uh, at one point, I think it was a department of one or two people and, you know, really just focus on ticket pricing, helping us, right, with dynamic pricing and whatnot. I mean, that has scaled now to, you know, we have plans for that group to probably be more in the 10 to 12 range uh, over time, uh, really divided up into different groups. Some of those folks really supporting um, corporate partnerships from a, a measurement and ROI kind of an analysis standpoint, you know, to help us put together the best partnerships possible, report back to our partners, show them the ROI of their investment, the reach, the measurement. So much of that of what we do in the partnership world has changed really, you know, and, and it had been going this way for a while. It's, it's less maybe about, you know, a logo on an outfield wall sign or a dashboard and more about, you know, really truly integrated year round partnerships. And that just takes more time and it takes more intelligence and analytics and strategy and measurement. And it takes more people to do that. So really, you know, continuing to build on that business intelligence strategy analytics group is one um, that will also dovetail into our marketing group. Uh, we, we've hired during the pandemic, uh, we hired a, a senior leader in our marketing group, Aaron McVary. Uh, who's our SVP of marketing and content. And really the focus there is building a more strategic global look at our content as a whole, right? So, you know, we know the obvious ones of our, our, our partnership with our TV broadcasts and those type of things, but, you know, taking a look at all of our content, especially around digital, social, all those things. And, you know, how are we growing our fan base? How are we growing our brand? And at the same time, how are we using that as an extension for our partners, right? To get more engagement, not more impressions, but more engagement with our fan base. So those groups kind of push and pull and work together very closely uh, between marketing. The way I like to describe it is like there's marketing, there's partnerships, and then sitting in the middle is, is BI, right? And strategy and analytics is kind of like, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of like Switzerland, um, you know, we, we need them to be neutral and, uh, you know, work with both groups and not be beholden to one or the other and just help us make the best data-driven decisions that we can. Yeah, good stuff. So those are a couple of the big areas right now that we're focused on uh, organizationally as we move forward. Well, you're the defending Stanley Cup champions, at least at the time of recording this here. You're the first ever team to win it in the bubble. Hopefully the only team to ever. That's right. <laughs> Uh, and it was on neutral ice in Canada in front of almost no fans in the middle of this pandemic in late September. What a great win, but certainly one of the strangest victories in sports history. What was that like internally for you and your staff? And how tough has it been not to be able to celebrate it like so many others have before you? Yeah. And, it, and then it also dovetails into a great question about Tampa as a whole because of the unbelievable year. Our, our partners and our friends at the Buccaneers and the Rays have all had here, even the Tampa Bay Rowdies, our USL team made their championship game. Um, uh, you know, that's why it's, it's Champa Bay now, you know, and uh, we, we love it. Listen, I'm a firm believer in rising tides, raise all ships. And this is a city and we have some of the best sports fans in the country. This is a city that can support multiple teams at a time. And we're seeing that right now. And, Hopefully that will carry over into all of us opening our buildings to more uh, larger capacities here in the next few months. But for us specifically, you know, I, I don't, obviously you get, you don't get many chances to win a championship in your career. Um, I had never won one before that. So I think 20 or 21 years, this was my first one. And I had only been to two championship series before that. So you just, you never know when that opportunity is going to come. And the same way I think any athletes that we're playing would say it, like you're playing to win. You, you don't know how many chances you're going to get at this. I think, and I'm biased, but I think this will go down as the hardest Stanley Cup to ever win, right? Given all the challenges 
that all these players had to go off thousands of miles away into these bubbles, away from their families, locked down, locked into their small little groups of 50 per team. And in our case, two and a half months, us and the stars to play it out to the end. Um, just an incredible, incredible wave of emotions for all of us back home here. Because at that time, really, if you think back where we were kind of in, you know, in, in call it August, September, like we needed something like that, right? Like this whole situation was only getting worse and worse by the day. And uh, I think for us, it was a huge outlet in the community for people to be thinking about watching our games, thinking about the lightning. We did some really fun, safe, physically distant, you know, opportunities with letting season ticket members pull in to our parking compound where the players park, Bill, and get to pull into, you know, Kucherov or Vasilevsky's parking spot, windows up, and our service team is out there painting their car, go bolts, stenciling it, right? Putting a car flag on. We did that multiple times with rallies around town and to keep that vibe going of what it would be like if we were home hosting the playoffs. And then we were really, really fortunate working with our local, our, our city, our county, our state, our healthcare providers. We were actually one of the first teams back Dallas as well to have fans in the building in September for Stanley Cup playoff watch parties. Started with 500 only employees and families and then ended up growing it to about 2,500 uh, season ticket members um, by the last game. Um, and so just that, I mean, that was, I mean, we had, we had staff full-time and our part-time, our frontline staff, the ticket takers, the ushers that had been away from the building since March 12th. And like literally emotional, like people crying and with mask on and all those things, but like hugging each other or elbow bumping, just, you know, the feeling of being able to get a little bit of normalcy back to be back there and to see people. And yeah, the game's on the, on the video board. It's not in front of you, but it was amazing. So uh, I give our organization, I give our fans a ton of credit for keeping that. It felt like we were in a playoff run here in the community. Flags were flying. People had their yard signs up. Cars were stenciled. Radio, TV were talking about the bolts, wearing their jerseys on camera. I mean, you would have thought we were playing in here in the home market, not in Toronto and Edmonton. <laughs> so, you know, but we were able to come back and uh, the city, uh, our mayor, our police chief, our fire chief, amazing plan uh, to put together uh, unbelievable kind of, uh, you know, Stanley Cup parade, water parade on boats, on the water to get people as physically distant as possible, the players, everybody spread out. And to have that, you know, very similar to what the, the Bucks did after they won there. So to see those two events and to see people in the city uh, have an opportunity to celebrate their teams. It's been a really amazing run by all the teams here locally. And one of the things I love being here is all of the teams have such a good working relationship. Uh, Rob Higgins from our sports commission, who's responsible for bringing all the great events here to Tampa, he coined it uh, Team Tampa Bay. And we've been using that for a couple of years now. And the Bucks, the Rays, the Rowdies, us, uh, you know, we all cheer for each other. Go back and look at everybody's social media, right, from the teams during each other's runs and the players. You know, our guys were in the middle of our current season and they're watching the Bucks playoffs. They're having watch parties in their in their hotel and they're wearing Bucks jerseys, right? <clears throat> and the Bucks were doing it for us and the Rays and vice versa. So a really great opportunity to uplift the community. Um, yes, listen, the financial numbers from not having those events here in the city, devastating. I mean, could you imagine hosting all of those here in one year? Plus we had WWE had to get canceled. Now it's coming back, thankfully, next uh, two months from now, but we lost that as well. You know, the Super Bowl, all these, just what an incredible year it was for Tampa. Try not to think about what it could have been, um, but it's been, you know, I think, a blessing that we were still able to go through that. Well, on the business side, certainly a team that's a Stanley Cup champion looks to capitalize on some of that success at the box office and to be able to look at the way you price those seats and, and the things that then automatically become perhaps more valuable. Any business would look at that and say, okay, where can we now maximize some of the success that we've had? 
Mm-hmm. You internally balance the pricing of your seats with this increased popularity. Who, who's yeah. involved in How do you arrive at that intersection of demand and price? Listen, when you work for great people that are not worried about, you know, trying to figure out every nickel, it helps, you know, and I would tell you, there's a couple times a year that I get to meet directly with our owner and ticket pricing meetings is always one of them. I mean, because he cares that much and wants to know what our strategy analytics team and I and our VP of ticketing, what we're all thinking. Um, And that is great because I always think about it, you know, what would Jeff Vinnick do, right? Like what would our owner do? And our, and our CEO, Steve Griggs drives that every single day. And that's his, that's, that's his term. What would Jeff Vinnick do? And so it was really, actually, I don't want to oversimplify it. It was pretty easy. Like we had already gone out with our pricing for season ticket members. And we had already been collecting months and months of payments for this season before we knew, you know, typically you would start in October. We didn't end up starting until mid January. So we had a really high percentage of accounts that never stopped paying. And we gave everybody the option. We said, we're going to pause everybody's membership. You do not need to pay another dime if you don't want to. You can skip payments, keep your money on the account. If you keep your money on your account, we're going to give you a loyalty credit. We gave them a percentage. So basically free money just for keeping your money, your investment on the account, knowing that it'll go towards tickets once we're able to sell them again. Uh, And if you don't want that, that doesn't work for you, Bill. No problem. We'll refund you 100% zero issue. And you still will not lose your tenure or your seats for the next year. We gave everybody basically a one-year hiatus because we knew wherever we came back to wasn't going to be full capacity. So that made that decision pretty easy. We did not change our ticket prices, even though we went from normally 19,000 plus sold to where we're at right now, 3,800 tickets per game, 20% capacity. We did not change our ticket prices. The, The ticket prices we went out to our season ticket members stayed those prices. And the biggest challenge for us, because every survey we did told us, yes, there's a certain percentage of fans that are going to want to wait a while, maybe even take a whole year off. But we had indications that 70 plus percent wanted to come back as soon as we would let them. We weren't going to be able to have the supply to fulfill that demand. So, you know, our, our CEO gave us the charge. Steve said, you guys figure out how to get as many of our season ticket members in here as possible. And think about how you keep a membership plan. You know, don't think about it about, we're just going to sell a bunch of single game tickets, right? So we put together smaller plans. I think we, when we originally came out, we had 28 games, home games. So we did, we offered two different 14 game plans and four different seven game plans. And the whole, and then, and we had about 70% of our seats were two seat physically distant pods. So the reason why we did that was to drive volume, to try to get as many accounts that felt comfortable coming back involved as possible. Once we went through that reseeding process, any other available inventory, we put out um, essentially a single game sales exclusively to our season ticket members. So So just to to be clear, these are the pods that you're talking about. Somebody may have six seats in their season ticket plan, but you reduce that to two in order to get as many accounts taken care of as you could. Yeah, we had had majority twos. We did have some threes and fours as well. Uh, And we also broke up the plan. So you got to remember, if I'm a full season ticket member, excuse me, last year I might have had four or six seats for all 41 regular season games, plus preseason, plus playoffs. You came back this year and the most you could have got was 14 games. And most of our folks got seven and we did our best to break up the inventory and we did our best to make it as fair as possible. We went in order of tenure, just like we do for our relocation every year. And we went in that order and allowed people to go in online, see what was available. Some people chose to maybe upgrade their seats or downgrade their seats, or some people chose to sit out. And guess what? If you sat out, no problem. You're still getting the loyalty credit. You're still getting the free money and your account is frozen from last year. When we come back for this, hopefully this next year in a more normal season, you're starting with your same seats and same tenure that you had a year ago. So really try to make it as zero risk as possible. And like we're in this for the long term. This wasn't about great. We got 3,800 seats. How do we price those, you know, at a super high price? 
You know, it just, it was never going to be like that for us. Um, and I think our fans have responded. We've seen a really, really strong demand. We've essentially sold every single ticket that we've had for every game that we've released so far to our season ticket members. We're hopeful over time, over the next you know month or two, that we'll be able to increase capacity. And then when we do, we'll be able to put some more seats out to season ticket members and the general public. Uh, but again, at the end of the day, we want to be safe. We want to be cautious. Um, it's one of the most incredible projects I've ever worked on and hopefully we'll never have to work on something like it again to reopen a facility. And we actually have two arenas that we manage, you know, working with our, our head of the building, our general manager, Daryl, our head of booking, Kevin, our head of innovation and technology, Andrew, and putting together a comprehensive plan that we could present to our healthcare partners, to the county, the state, the NBA, because we have the Toronto Raptors here now right. and the NHL. I mean, I, I can safely say it was probably one of the most scrutinized plans in North America, given that when we started the season, we were one of four NBA teams hosting fans. And prior to us pausing before the NHL season started, we were going to be one of only four uh, NHL. So, you know, we had two of the, call it 10 teams in North America playing with any kind of fans in our building. So it had to be scrutinized, right? It had to be done the right way. And very proud of the work that we put into that. And uh, the result, you know, to date has been really, really good. The fan feedback, the healthcare feedback from everybody that's been involved now that we've had games under our belts with the arena back open again has been really positive. We'll be back for the second half right after this. Hi, this is Bill Gertine. I've been training the ticket sales departments of sports and entertainment for almost 20 years. And I love what I do. But everywhere I went, the story was always the same. We loved what you did. You got us fired up. But after a while, we kind of lost the spark and we went back to the same old, same old. Well, not anymore. ISBI 360 is the first and only digital training network created exclusively for the specific long-term career needs of sports and entertainment professionals. Our seven different unique certification programs include the fundamentals of success in the industry, like ticket sales, sponsorships, social media, customer service, and leadership, all trained by industry experts like Brett Zelaski, Debbie Nolan, Misha Scher, and Seth Rabinowitz. ISBI 360 uses a unique four-stage learning process, including cutting-edge micro-learning videos, live recorded role plays, live coaching from industry experts, and an ongoing reinforcement program to make sure the learning sticks and forms the habits that your people need to grow and excel faster. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com slash demo. That's isbi360.com slash demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Check out what's different about ISBI 360 today. I want to go back to what would Jeff Vinnick do for a moment because yeah. obviously the owner, your principal owner there, relatively new to team ownership but not a stranger to it because – in his work with his hedge funds, he's known Michael Gordon of Fenway Sports Group for a long time. You came five years ago after Jeff had done some pretty incredible things already, some renovations, yep. some other things that gone on, the Tesla coil that's in the, the yep. stadium, all sorts of very cool things. Did ownership factor into your decision to come? 100%. Um, yes, I was. Now, listen, coming from San Diego and working with Ron Fowler, in the Seidler family there, the ownership group of the Padres, uh, you know, the last couple of years I was there was great. So it wasn't like I was going from a, you know, a bad situation to a good, I was already in a really good one. You know, when I, when I came out here, I just, I didn't know a lot about the market. I hadn't only been to Tampa once, <clears throat> you know, on the outside looking in, you hear ice hockey in Florida. What? Right. Like that's your natural knee jerk reaction. If you don't know any better. When I came out here, I came out here twice over the course of two months during the holidays of 2015. And I got to spend obviously the majority of my time with our then president, now CEO, Steve Griggs, um, our then CEO, Todd Laiwiki, uh, who most people in the industry know, who's now heading up the Seattle Kraken expansion team and had the opportunity to sit with Mr. Vinnick for probably an hour or so. And, you know, it was three for three. It was amazing. And, you know, when I went to the game that night, I was just blown away at the level of enthusiasm of fans supporting ice hockey in Florida. 
people, you know, people coming to the arena in droves, 19,000 plus sold out. Um, and this was 2015, right? So it was, it was just before things really started to take off. Mr. Vinnick, I think, had owned the team maybe four or five years at the time. And a lot of the heavy lifting, I was, listen, I'm the beneficiary of a lot of heavy lifting, hard work done by a lot of people that were here before me. And I'll be the first one to raise my hand and say that I was very fortunate and blessed to come into this situation. People that are still with the organization now, people that have moved on, but you know, it takes a village, right? Like you don't change a brand and a franchise like that overnight. This team, you know, without Mr. Vinnick was probably going to be a team that was going to move this franchise. And now you look at it as one of the, what is considered, I mean, we've been fortunate, I think twice since I've been here to be nominated for sports franchise of the year, you know, across all sports in America, North America. And so that is a lot of different things happening, right? And, and a lot of hard work of years and years coming together. But to specific to your question, yes. When I sat down with the senior leadership team at the time, Steve, Todd, and, and Mr. Vinnick, and got to spend time with all of them, I was blown away at a couple of things. One, how lock in step everybody was in terms of vision. There was 100% clarity about this is who we are, this is where we are, but this is where we're going, right? And secondly, community. When I started doing my due diligence and talking to people in the Tampa community that didn't work for the Lightning, that didn't know I was interviewing here, that maybe were friends that worked at other teams in the region, like 50 for 50 every single time was how much the community supports the team and how much of that is largely in part driven by Jeff and Penny Vinnick and the fact that they as owners have given back millions of their own dollars. And this was, again, I've been here six years, actually, this was six years ago. You can imagine what that is now that they've poured back into this community. The first couple months I was on the job, I remember talking to suite holders and season ticket members as I was getting to know people that were like, hey, Jared, a couple years ago, I'd never been to an ice hockey game in my life, but I bought chase club seats or, you know, glass seats or a suite. I made that investment because I believed in your ownership and what they were doing in our community. And I wanted to support that. Holy moly. So this isn't like the 400 level. This is like no. the, the big no. time investments. That I've never been in an arena where I walked around and saw fans, season ticket members wearing the jersey, not with a player's name on the back, but with Vinick on the back wow. of the nameplate. And so when I saw these things over the course of a couple of months, because I had the fortune of coming back twice and going through this, it was kind of a long process. They weren't sold on me originally, I guess, up front, because it took a couple of months for Steve to hire me. <laughs> It was just crystal, crystal clear that this is destined for success. And it went from discovery to how do I become a part of this? What do I need to do to convince these people that I'm the right person for the job? So it was, uh, yeah, it's been a blessing, you know, and uh, God bless my wife because, you know, she came here relatively sight unseen and uh, we moved across the country from San Diego with, uh, at the time, a uh, four and one year old with another one on the way. And we knew nobody really here. So, you know, we took a lot of uh, leaps of faith and uh, thankfully it's, it's worked out for us so far personally and professionally. So you've had several different experiences with the Raiders, with the, uh, the Giants, with folks in San Diego, with the Padres, now certainly at the Lightning. Who have been some of your mentors along the way and, and people that have influenced you and perhaps some advice you might give to young people who may be considering finding a mentor like you've had? Yeah, uh, that's a great point. I mean, if I've done anything in my career well, I think it's been, you know, picking to work for the right people and, and, and hiring really good people. So if you surround yourself on the top and bottom like that, no matter how bad you are, they're going to make you look good. <laughs> you know, that's been my strategy, Bill. And it's worked out okay so far. Have there been a few in particular that stand out as mentors yeah. that you can point to and say, gosh, here's somebody that really helped me. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my, one of my very first uh, managers, actually the gentleman that gave me, that hired me and gave me my start at the San Francisco Giants, Rob Sullivan. Um, he is uh, now an executive at uh, Madison Square Garden. Um, you know, he was, he was one of the first people to ever really take a shot on me, right? Take a chance on me in my professional career, hired me as a sales executive with one year minor league baseball experience under my belt. 
And that opened up the world to me, you know, and there's so many life lessons, you know, aside learning sales and, and marketing and customer service. There's just so many things I learned from him developing as a, as a young man uh, to this day. Right. And I was fortunate to, you know, we, our, our relationship grew so close that I'm the godfather of his son, Chase. And he was one of my groomsmen in, in my wife and I's, you know, wedding. It, for me, a lot of these relationships go beyond you know, the four walls of the arena. Right. And, uh, you know, Rob was someone that's been uh, unbelievable for me. When I went to San Diego and had an opportunity, you know, at that point had six, seven years under my belt. And I went in as a vice president uh, to go work for someone like Tom Garfinkel uh, was a career changer uh, in every sense of the word. I mean, I, you know, you're hard pressed to find, you know, a better executive in our industry and, you know, again, Tom took a shot on me. I was his first executive, you know, a, a VP hired when he took over at the Padres. Uh, I might have been one of the youngest at the time, one of the least experienced. And, you know, he saw something in me and he took a chance on me. And I learned so much from him in terms of from a, an executive leadership position, um, how to carry yourself, how to manage at that level uh, with not only clients, with your staff, et cetera. Uh, you know, I guess that's probably the point in my career, <clears throat> I think, where I've matured the most as, as an executive. And uh, he is someone still to this day, like, I'll, I'll you know, <laughs> I'll call him regularly to pick his, you know, pick his brain about things. And, um, you know, he had Brent Stelic, um, who came in as well at the Padres. And so reporting into the two of those gentlemen, uh, gosh, like, you know, I'm a firm believer God puts people in front of you for a reason. And I'm just very fortunate that I had those you know, almost five years with those guys in San Diego, I learned so much. Um, and when I came here, you know, that's something I craved, right? I didn't want to lose that. And, you know, was fortunate to take a look at some different opportunities before I came here. But that's one of the biggest things that set me apart here is I knew Steve Griggs. I knew his track record. I knew wherever he had been, he had been successful. I knew wherever he had been, he had developed extremely talented people. And I had met him a few years prior when I was younger, when he was at the Orlando Magic, uh, responsible for opening Amway. And, you know, just kind of kept in the back of my mind that this is, this is one of the good people in the industry, right? And so when I came here, and it was probably six, seven years later, um, it was like we never skipped a beat, you know? It just felt right. We kind of picked up right where we left off. And... He has been, uh, to, to, to me, the epitome of what a CEO can help you do in terms of, hey, this is your business responsibility. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be on you about this because it is a really important part of our business. And he is super analytical, super smart. Like you better have your stuff together. But to the extent you can do that, you know, I will let you reach out across other business units and develop as an executive and learn you know, areas of the business that you don't oversee day to day, you know, in my case, whether that's, you know, you know, PR or finance or people operations, like areas I'm not directly responsible for, but because I'm on the executive team, you know, he will give us those insights, you know, of what that is like sitting in his chair. Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe one day that will prepare me for that step. Maybe it won't, I don't know, but I'm just, you know, super thankful that to be able to have that opportunity from a, a learning and growth standpoint, and, and Steve's another, you know, person, whether I'm working for him the rest of my life and whether I'm not, he's another one where the, the personal relationship, I'll pick up the phone and call him in a second and say, hey, I need your advice on something. And so when I flip that around and I, and I try to say, what's my style as a leader? I hope it's like that with my staff. And I've been very fortunate now to be doing this for 21 years. Bill, you can, I know your listeners can't see it, but you can see the gray hair. <clears throat> Part of that's three daughters as well. But, you know, I joke around with my buddies that, when this thing's all said and done, and I have the hopefully good fortune of retiring one day, the single most important thing that I will look at in terms of was I successful or not is what does that tree look like? Who are the different men and women that developed, that worked with us on our team that are now leading the industry? And it's funny because we're kind of at that crossroads where I think I did a quick count the other day. It was like approaching 20 folks that I worked that either I hired or I worked directly with on my staff that are now VPs or higher in the industry. Some of them at C-level, you know, and it's just amazing to see that. And, and again, that's why I say, if you surround yourself 
with good people, you hire good people, you work for good people, like you're going to be successful, like out of default. <laughs> so, yeah, that's really, really great stuff. No, I appreciate your comments on that. And I'm sure the others appreciate you being honest with them and, and telling them that they've been meaningful to you. So what a great thing. As we wrap up, sales will be different when we get back to 100%. And perhaps the way we sell our stadiums and our teams and our seats may be different in some small ways and in some large ways. How do you see the sales process and, and mainly ticket sales at this point? How do you see that being different <clears throat> post-pandemic? Yeah. It's a great question. I think, you know, you and I are kind of on the Zoom call right now. I think this is something we're going to be living with for a long, long time. Um, and we, we know it's just been magnified over the last year. And we've had to get we've had to get good at it. You know, every one of our business meetings for 12 months now has been this with clients, partners, suite holders, season ticket members. I think it's continuing to force us to be creative, to be innovative. And, and really what it boils down to is how are we connecting with people? Because so much of still what we do is emotional, right? It's that connection between a fan and a team. And we're the middle men and women in that relationship, right? And we're the ones that are going to bring them as close to it as possible or not. So I think it's, you know, it, it behooves us to continue to be creative and innovative about how are we giving them access? How are we allowing them to feel as engaged as possible, um, you know, a big one for us, we've been, this goes back to our San Diego days and, and certainly here, so much of our, especially ticket sales and, and suite sales has been getting face to face with people, get them out to the arena, get them out there in that kind of emotional state, build a relationship with them, build some rapport over time. Hopefully that becomes a relationship and trust. Uh, get their key decision makers, whether it's their family or business colleagues out with them. And there's just so much more in person that is really hard to do on a video or on a 3D map or whatever. I think that's one of the biggest things we're going to have to solve for. I don't, let me go on the record and say, I don't think there is a hundred percent replacement for that. I think as sales and customer service people, that human connection will always be there will always be something people crave and want. And I get it. I'm not naive enough to know that some people just want to go on a chat on a chat function and not actually pick up the phone and talk to you. Some people want to transact over the phone and not come down to the building. I get it. We got to figure out paths for everybody. But I am a firm believer, you know, if we're having people back in the building, there's opportunities to connect. <clears throat> and so we got to have to figure out what is the best way and what's the right cadence to do that. We can't just fall back to this is what we used to do. It's got to be, how is it different? How is it new? How is it improved? Um, so I look at a lot of that from the partnership, or excuse me, from the ticketing in world. On the partnership side, you know, I think, again, we're just going to continue to lean into analytics and measurement and really creative um, you know, holistic approaches to integrated marketing partnerships. And it's not just, hey, where can I get the most TV exposure? You know, it's, it's not that. I mean, there's always going to be some of that. Listen, one of the best things that has happened, our friends at the NHL coming out of this pandemic, allowing us to do, you know, new inventory like helmet decals and different things like that. And there is always going to be a place for that. But <clears throat> we're hearing just from a lot of more partners throughout this entire pandemic as you put together new extension plans and value replacement plans and all these things, <clears throat> that's really more and more important to them is how are you helping me engage with my, you know, target demographic with your fans in a meaningful way. And if we're not in the building, <clears throat> how are you helping me do that is a, is a tough challenge, right? Yeah. So those are a couple of the ways that I see us continuing to, to morph and those things will be with us, I think for a long time. Great comments. As we wrap up, I'm going to do a rapid fire fill in the blanks. This is uh, the the first thing that comes to mind. This is like your Rorschach test. Uh, okay. Here we go. You ready? Let's try it. All right. Your favorite binge watch during the pandemic? Um, the Formula One one I'm watching right now. The Formula One on Netflix. It's awesome. Unbelievable. I didn't know much about Formula One and my wife is hooked on it too, which is great. So we get to watch that together every night. I think we're in the season three now. That's probably my favorite. Uh, Queen's Gamut was another one. That was really good. Cool. Besides sports, the one thing you have missed most during COVID? Oh man, seeing my family. 
being able to give people hugs. Yeah. <laughs> see, don't get me emotional, man. Like seeing my mom out, who lives out in California and just give her a hug and a kiss and uh, the personal side, right? It just uh, that feeling of isolated, you know, just being isolated. You know, thankfully I have a big family, uh, you know, so I'm more fortunate maybe than some others that have been having to do this by themselves. Uh, but that, you know, I think as we come out of this, that's a big piece to the mental health state of all this for, for our staff and, and for society as a whole. The board game you never thought would see the light of day again that you played in 2020. Monopoly. All right. Uh, my daughters, nine, seven, and five, and mom and dad, and, and, and my, my, my in-laws live here in Tampa now. We'll get together during the pandemic and, and play that for hours. Cool. <laughs> and it's amazing how quickly a kid can grasp the concepts and kick your butt in it. <laughs> <laughs> the favorite musical artist on your workout mix? Man, um, let me go with Post Malone. All right. The sit-down restaurant you have visited most from DoorDash and has been to your house the most? Um, Chichios. It's a Tampa brand here. Really good. We have one close to our house. That's been the number one takeout for us, bar none, probably in the last 12 months. Okay. And then number two would be PDQ. right uh favorite thing about tampa uh the community cool the biggest hurdle that you have to overcome in the next six months uh getting our capacities back to close to what they used to be cool and then lastly you bet yeah safely is important and last one bold prediction that you would have for sports and entertainment going forward Uh, I really think it's going to be the future of broadcasting and second screen experience. And in the U S in the next few years, how sports betting plays a part into that kind of shoulder content. Essentially what I'm saying is how people are consuming our games and our content. Um, we all know what's going on. There's a lot of, it's continuing to evolve. And I just think we're only scratching the surface right now. It's going to be a lot of evolution happening very quickly, just like we've seen a lot of evolution in digital stuff very quickly. Well, I got a question for you. Yep. Who's been your favorite interview on your podcast? <laughs> just kidding. You don't have to answer it. I won't, I, I won't go there, but it, this has really been a blast. I so appreciate your time in doing this. Jared Dillon, the Chief Marketing and Revenue Officer of Vinick Sports Group and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Thanks so much, Jared, for being a part of the Crowdmakers. Thank you, Bill. Good to see you. Be safe and well, my friend. If you enjoyed the program, please like us, share us with those you know, and hit subscribe on the podcast, and we'll let you know when another new episode is dropped. Your positive comments will help keep the Crowdmakers on the air. We'd be grateful for your five-star review. Got someone you'd like to hear as a guest on the Crowdmakers? Let us know, and we'll do our best to reach out to them. Drop us a note at info at ISBI360.com. That's info at ISBI360.com. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the first and only digital training network for sports and entertainment professionals. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com slash demo. That's isbi360.com slash demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Our chief engineer of the Crowdmakers is Ken Marinelli. Sean Quinn is our director of operations. Mark Yazowitz is the digital platform guru. And the executive producer of The Crowdmakers is Doug Quinn. I'm Bill Gertine. Until next time, thanks for listening, and so long for now. This is The Crowdmakers on the C-Suite Radio Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.